Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about ignoring the rules and playing without a grid. Today we're talking to Ryan Katie. Uh, how's it going, Ryan? Hey guys, thanks for having me on. So how, how long have you been playing? Like, Tell us a little bit about your, your history in D&D and whatnot. Yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> well, like, so <laughs> pre, I just remembered this when you when y'all sent me the uh, sort of uh, list of questions for today, but I actually... When I was uh, in middle school, I found out what Dungeons and Dragons was, uh, and I went around to, I, I lived on a cul-de-sac with my grandparents at the time, and I went around to every neighbor I could think of who had had, who had, had, had children that were the right age, and I was like, hey, do you, did your kids play Dungeons and Dragons? Do you have any Dungeons and Dragons stuff lying around? And uh, it never panned out, but my grandparents were really weirded out by that because I came from a kind of religious family. Uh, and so I, I never got to play. And then in uh, towards the end of high school, one of my buddy started DMing Rifts, of all things. So I started out with uh, Kevin Symbiata's Rifts for uh, a few years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I've been playing for um, almost two decades now. Um, wait, that doesn't sound right. A long, a long time, over a, over a decade, a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How old am I? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I started with Rifts, um, and we played that for a, a, a few years, uh, and then we switched to Pathfinder. Um, and around there, I had uh, DM'd a couple homebrews, actually, which is probably where my, my love of breaking the rules comes from. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I ended up you know, learning how to DM Rifts and Pathfinder. and So I've been DMing now for about... Six years. All right, cool. Maybe more, maybe more, but be conservative. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's get into the topic. Uh, what do you find is kind of the benefit of breaking or bending the rules or ignoring the rules of a system? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it's always right. Like ultimately, what I'm trying to provide for my players is is a fun, collaborative storytelling experience. You know, I, I know that everybody comes to D and D and gets different things out of it, or tabletop in general. And I, and I know a lot of people are, are, are into the crunch more than the fluff. And so I, I think also a lot of my perspective comes from what my play group is like and what they prefer. But, but ultimately, I think to garner those, those epic moments where people really sink into their character in the world and, and feel the experience as it's something you know, really real and, and, and epic and it, it feels genuine and kind of get lost into it. I feel like being able to ignore certain rules that take you out of play really help engender that a lot better. Okay. So how do you decide which rules you're going to ignore? Like, do you, is it picking a, like a set of mechanics, like a bunch of combat stuff and being like, a lot of this isn't working. I'm just going to ignore it. Or is it kind of like, as you encounter a rule that you're like, this, this specific one isn't working we're going to ignore that one for now and move on. Yeah, I mean, um, so for, for me personally, a lot of it came um, comes back down to the grid. And uh, when I first started playing, we weren't using a grid at the very beginning. We were playing Rifts. And then we switched to Pathfinder. Uh, the DM played with the grid a bit. 
and I really didn't care for it. And uh, I was talking to one of the other players one time, and at this point, I had DM'd a little bit, and I wasn't DM with the grid. And he said, uh, he said he made this comparison to me, and it to me it was like so brilliant, and it's, it's sort of how I think of the gaming experience. He said that what he loves about uh, tabletop was was these epic, cinematic, almost like anime esque experiences you get, where you feel like you're in these these big, beautiful anime moments. And when you play with a grid, he said, it feels like you're playing a Final Fantasy game where you're having these moments of, of action and character and all this stuff. And it's, oh, it's time for combat. Switch to top-down view. Get drawn out of it. And so the grid was sort of like the first, like the biggest thing that, that I abolished and the most controversial uh, and why I don't play with it because I, I, I want to remove that Final Fantasy uh, element that takes you out of the game. But along with that... Um, you know, I, I play it really fast to lose with the rules my players want to. I've played whole campaigns where I don't play with attacks of opportunity. Um, I've ignored movement speed for the sake of cool moments and epic storytelling. I'm very fast to lose with concentration checks, as my mages will attest. Um, but ultimately, aside from the grid, a lot of that stuff came from like, well, what, what's working? What's not working? What is overcomplicating things? What is making it feel like we're not having fun. Because at the end of the day, if I'm behind the screen, I can fudge the numbers and change things around to keep the combat feeling fun and interesting and keep the flow going. It feels acceptable to abolish things that are making it so people aren't having a good time and aren't enjoying the game. Yeah, that's... Getting rid of the grid, I think, is one of the the topics that I see online a lot when people are talking about the game. Usually when people bring it up, they're talking about like it's, it's DMS like, like yourself who want, you know, the entire experience to be more, I don't know, storytelling based, more cinematic, more like big epic moments. And they find that as soon as they go to the grid, that the players go from, you know, emoting and talking about what their character is doing to, okay, I'm going to move over here and I'm going to do my attacks and then it's your turn instead of, you know, oh, I'm going to swing my great axe and, and try and like chop off an arm or something like the players suddenly switch into a completely different mode of playing. And I think everybody kind of agrees that the reason why that mode switch happens is because you go to a grid. It's suddenly a very you're kind of forced in your head to switch how you're thinking about how you're playing. And it becomes a much more tactical experience. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, it becomes about a, a kind of winning, you know. Um, not that that mindset is, is always bad. Of course not. It's it's still a game, but but ultimately you switch to a point of, of extreme like problem solving, right? And it becomes very clinical or, or tactical, like you said. I think is the better adjective. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Final Fantasy fight kind of comparison is really apt because, like, I found in games that I'm playing or in games that I've run that it's always really hard to RP during a fight for me and for a lot of the people I play with because they're it's become it's gone from like a role-playing game to a board game almost it's yeah. there's a separation there and it's hard to get around that even when you're actively trying to sometimes mm-hmm. which which can really suck sometimes like if you've got this big epic set piece battle that's the final battle of the campaign and you're going up against a lich and you you know you as the dm you've practiced all of these lines about you know how like every round that the lich is going to be saying stuff about you know like making fun of the the sorcerer because he's a weak magic user and laughing off the attempts of you know the fighters to try and get up close and teleporting around with dimension door and you've got all this like awesome banter planned out 
And then, you know, you get into the first round of combat and you get the, you know, the Lich says his opening lines and then the players are like, yeah, okay, I'm going to move up and I'm going to cast a spell. Yeah. (laughs) I see that kind of stuff online where people are just like, they get so disheartened because especially for newer GMs, they're just like, we were having such a fun, engaging time and suddenly all the energy is gone. What do I do? And I think in, in fifth edition, it's, it's better because they don't really advocate like the, the rules are in there for doing grid based combat, but it's a lot easier in fifth edition to go to theater of the mind where I, my mm-hmm. understanding, I didn't play fourth edition, but my understanding was that in fourth edition, if you weren't playing with a grid, the game was almost unplayable. And so like a lot of people got into the habit of, well, we play on a grid and this is what combat is like when you're on the grid. So yeah. Fourth edition kind of assumed you were playing with a grid. It was originally built with kind of online clients in mind. Of course, those clients never ended up showing up. <laughs> um, but that's that's a whole other thing. So uh, do you ever have problems with your players like getting <clears throat> upset about ignoring rules? Or And if so, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, I've been really lucky because I, I have a group that has a, pretty, a lot of the same priorities. Um, so we actually, recently, this we had a big debate about it. Um, where So I just bought, we just got Starfinder, and we were starting Starfinder. And so uh, we've all been playing Pathfinder forever, but you know, we just got the system none of us had ever played or run Starfinder before. So we learned it, and we all had a big sit-down discussion where they know I ignore all these rules, and they're like, what rules are we going to ignore? And we, we took a vote about the grid and we actually had a couple players who, who were in favor of the grid because they were like combos that they like to do that work better. If you can play with attacks of opportunity and flanking and stuff like that, um, which is like, of course, super valid, right? You, you like to feel epic and have these big moments with these combos you work towards and, and perfect your character to be like a weapon. But, you know, we sort of just like talked it over and we're able to hash it out and, and, Ultimately, even the people who had voted for the grid were were in favor of as long as they could have the things they wanted. They could have their cake and eat it too of removing the grid for uh, regular combat. We're still keeping it for ship combat because uh, that's a whole kill of fish. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, you know, and just sort of ultimately it was communication. And I mean this this idea. And I, I this is kind of straying off topic a bit, so I apologize. But we sort of. Um, the mindset I always try to get my group to, to keep in mind and, and enforce is the rule of cool. And like ultimately, if, if we're not having fun, being chill, being respectful, getting this sort of enjoyment out of it, then, then you know, what's even the point? It's not working. Yeah. And so that was sort of our mindset to what, what rules to ignore, what not to ignore, what to, what to bring to the table. Um, I've had some things happen in the past where like, you know, I've, <laughs> I had somebody pick run, uh, the run feat in Pathfinder. And I'm like, well, dude, you know, like I don't play with, with movement speed, you know, I don't, we don't play with a grid, so it's not a thing. And, you know, we just talked it over. It was like, all right, well, he didn't want to change it for another feat. He wanted to be able to run fast. So I'm like, all right, we'll just say you run fast. We'll just, we'll just say that you're ahead of other people and you move quicker. And that's not a big deal to me. We can, we can work that out. You know, it's actually something that I was actually kind of curious about because I've tried to run theater of the mind a few times and, I don't know if it's because I'm still a new DM or I'm trying to do too many things or what, but I found that I've already got a ton of stuff on my plate with regards to like, I've got all these monsters and I have to keep track of their attacks and keeping track of a whole bunch of stuff in my head. And I found that when I try to do theater of the mind, I suddenly feel like, 
oh my god, I have to remember where everybody is on top of all of this other shit. How do you deal with that in in when you're doing theater of the mind? Just because we've been talking a lot about ignoring the grid and not playing with the grid. So I'm just curious, how do you deal with that? Sure. Um, I mean, well, I, <laughs> I'm a little loosey-goosey. Uh, I will say that for a traditional session, like a four or five hour session, my notes are usually like a paragraph. Um, and I just kind of wing, wing it. Uh, <laughs> I, that sounds really obnoxious, but I, I just, uh, you know, maybe I'll pull up some monsters on like the, the system reference document, or maybe I'll just be like, ah, this sounds like a decent armor class for a creature. It'd be cool if it could do this ability. And I just kind of play as I go. And that, that's sort of how I treat it for, for where everybody's at at the same place. I'm like, okay, where are you guys at when they come to the room? And I just sort of, you know, make sure to keep them focused on things and, and, and keep the, an idea of the room in my head. And if, you know, one of my players is like, Oh, I, you know, let's say there's, uh, let's say there's like a fighting a bunch of goblins. Let's say there's like a goblin shaman on the end of the room, and in my head, the goblin shaman is uh, is on on one side of the room, and my player couldn't quite get to him. But my player has just like done something really cool, and this whole time he's thought he's right next to the goblin shaman. I might just be like, oh yeah, you know what? You're gonna have to you're gonna have to make a charge action, but you can hit him. You can do it because like ultimately, if, if we're all striving for these collaborative epic storytelling moments together where we're, we're feeling like badass warriors and, and, but also, I mean, it's not always about success, it's about failure too, but, but having these, these, these fully fleshed out moments, I don't want those to get held up because, oh, you know, if with the grid, oh, oops, sorry, you, you're, you're like three squares off, you can't do it. Or with theater of the mind, if you're rigid about it, oh no, sorry, in my head, you were not close to that person. Sorry, you can't do it. I'm right. You know? Right. That makes sense. That, I totally get that. And that actually leads uh, pretty well into the next question, which is like, what rules have you found it's better to bend rather than to just straight out break them or ignore them? Cause you're talking a little bit about, you know, when you're doing theater of the mind, Oh yeah, you were close enough or you're I'll bend the rules so you can do like a charge to get up closer. Are there any other things that you've encountered where the rules still make sense, but you'll, you know, bend it to fit a little bit better? Uh, yeah, so like attacks of opportunity has been the hard one for me. I don't know if y'all, uh, those aren't in 5e at all, are they? Yeah, they are. Uh, oh, they are. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, good, okay. Sorry, I've played very little 5e. Um, so yeah, attacks of opportunity, I mean, they're all over the place in Pathfinder. And I, as a player, had just never played a character who really utilized them. Um, and and so as a DM, you know, especially one, because I don't play with the grids, so they don't come up that often, uh, I hadn't really been utilizing them. Uh, but, you know, as as certain classes get abilities and, and certain players pick feats, they're like, well, I want to be able to do a tax opportunity. You know, it's a situation where even though it's not a thing I really take into account normally for my play style and, and everything, if, if I feel like it's in a situation where, oh, shit, you know, this enemy would be walking past the, you know, this player or would be about to cast a spell or do a range attack, or whatever. I, I let them, I'll be like, oh, do you want to get an attack of opportunity on? This is a situation where you could do it. And that, that's a big one uh, for me. Are there any rules that you've uh, like taken out of the game or bent them and then realized, you know, a session or two later on, like, oh no, I should, I should bend that rule carefully back into place because it <laughs> needed. Yeah. There've been like times, there was one time I didn't tell my players this, but there was one time where I kind of like tried to, to play without combat maneuver defense and combat maneuver bonus. I was like, 
I was like, there's got to be a way that just in my head, I just make this about armor class uh, just to make it easier on myself. And very, very quickly, uh, I, I, I had a monk in the party. So I was like, very quickly, I need to, I need to keep this in check. For those of us who have oh, never played Pathfinder, like sorry. myself, what is that? <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, so combat maneuvers are basically uh, tripping, grappling, disarming, non-violent-inducing like, combat motions. And uh, so you have a separate defense instead of your armor class, and you have a separate bonus instead of your base attack bonus. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so uh, you know, I, we had a monk in the party who was... I, I was just like... It, it's the kind of thing that you're like, well, do I really need this? Is this really necessary? And uh, the kind of thing where like, if I had been designing a game, I wouldn't put it in there. And then so I was like, I'm just going to remove it from my monsters and not think about it and you know, try not to think about it unless someone brings it up. And then like, literally the next session, my monk was like, okay, so I'm going to do a combat maneuver to trip, a combat maneuver to stun, a combat maneuver to disarm. And I'm like, oh, better, uh, better come up with some kind of number for those guys. See, it's, it's stuff like this. And I'm sitting here looking. I've got the Pathfinder beginner box sitting above me. And I'm sitting here looking at it thinking, this is why I'm never going to open you. <laughs> no, honestly, you know what? It's funny. Uh, whenever I say, tell people that I play Pathfinder, a lot people are like, "Oh, so you're a big, you're a big rules guy. You're big into crunch." And I go, "No, not at all." Um, they're always really taken aback, and I think I get why people uh, who aren't big on rules are anti Pathfinder because it's got forty billion rules. But from my experience, maybe it's just my indoctrination. You know, I'd much rather have all those options be there to pick and choose from than have them not be there. And uh, I'm going to soapbox for a little bit, if that's okay, on your podcast. Going to get up on my... <laughs> Go nuts. Absolutely. Go ahead. I don't like the way that 5E asks you to... It makes things that I feel shouldn't be part of crunch, part of crunch. And I know that that's part of training, especially new players, to to dig into role play and character development and fluff. But but the idea that that things that shouldn't be part of mechanics maybe. And I, I, you know what? I had a great example when I started the soapbox, but now it's, it's leaving me. But the idea <laughs> of like character aspects and things that are, are made a part of the game mechanic rather than separate uh, feels to me like going the wrong way about it. I, I get how that does make sense to get people more interested in role play, but I feel like it's quantifying all those character aspects and cool things. And to me, those are ultimately beyond the numbers, beyond the rules, beyond what's on the page. That kind of thing is ultimately the people at the table, theater of the mind stuff. Right. I understand that. That makes sense. And Pathfinder keeps that kind of separate in such a way that you can stress out and worry about and get excited about all your crazy numbers, crunchy, uh, that stuff, and then keep the role play stuff kind of pure. Which is like maybe, again, maybe a backwards mindset, and maybe that's just how I feel because of my, my play style and experiences, but... Yeah, the, one of my the favorite things I've ever heard about being a DM or playing any kind of role playing game is uh, Matt Mercer was talking about you know people complaining about how he'd change rules and stuff, and he's his his response is basically there's no wrong way to have fun, and <laughs> if you're playing if you're DMing and you decide that you want to do things a certain way and everybody enjoys it it doesn't matter because like all those rules are there is just like a base for you to build on. And if building on those rules requiring requires ripping out a chunk, then go for it. If it makes things more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um blanking on their names now, but some of the creators of five E have specifically said the same thing. It's like, 
the rules are there to provide structure. You can change them however you want if that's going to make your game more fun. And I, I think it's uh, I think it's a thing a lot of DMs and a lot of players forget is that like you know if you don't want to use backgrounds for example from Five E you don't have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, and I, th- I think you're right. And I, I don't I don't mean to say to to knock Five E and I and I think it, it probably is more of a good than harm thing for sure. Um, definitely, and I think it's just. Uh, me getting on my my role play high horse and being like, players should do that naturally. It shouldn't be on the page. <laughs> You're oversimplifying it. I've I've played a bunch of other systems. Like I've played Star Wars and Paranoia and Eclipse Phase, and there are bits and pieces from other systems that I absolutely love. And I'm I've tried to figure out how to bring some of those things in because into 5e because i think they'd make the game better and there are bits and pieces of 5e that i'm sure that i'm i'm not really uh purposely ignoring them it's more i have completely forgotten and they haven't impacted the game in any way and my players (laughs) don't want to remind me so yeah there's all sorts of things you can do with your game whether it's ignoring rules or adding them that if it makes the game more fun go for it it's kind of it kind of sorry to come back to backgrounds it's uh... I find that in 5e, because backgrounds have, like, you know, you, mm-hmm. skills, which, okay, yeah, you're going to use those, but they also have abilities, and I find, I mean, as a DM, it's really hard to bring them into the game, and I think players often forget, too, and it would be, like, I prefer making my character's kind of backstory or background, whatever it is, up, and then just choosing two skills to give them that relate to that, and not worrying about the other stuff mm-hmm. so much. It's uh, but it's it's all a playstyle thing too, and that's that's kind of the great thing that both Pathfinder and Five E are available, and that they're similar, and that they're fantasy role playing games, but they're quite different in a lot of ways, even though they come from a common source. Yeah, and actually, I'm I'm so I'm a player in a uh in a Pathfinder game right now, which is on the grid, and it's using the Rise of the Rune Lords uh, adventure path, and so it's all all the rules, one hundred percent. As, as it's supposed to be played in the book, and uh, I really am having a blast, and, I, and I'm, we're capable to, to roleplay in those systems. We're using the background skill thing as well, um, uh, even though uh, I don't know if that is actually a rule in Pathfinder at all, but uh, the DM was like, do the background skills thing from, uh, like from 5e, so, um, and we sort of did this like what you were saying, we, we attached it arbitrarily. It was like, What's your, what is your character's background? okay, it makes sense that he would have knowledge local here, then he can have knowledge local, um, stuff like that. So I haven't played much Pathfinder, but I, I've played in a one-shot where I had to build a 15th-level character. <laughs> uh, I found a client that did most of the work for me, but it has... Um, there are, like, kind of background things in it, but they're very optional, and, like, it wouldn't, like, hobble your character mechanically mm-hmm. to not have them. And I think that's actually really good design. Because, like, it's, you know, if you don't want to do it, or if you wanted to say, like, this thing is sort of related to my character, I'll just take this thing. Like, I think it works really well. Whereas I find 5e's backgrounds are like, this is what your background is. You are a folk hero. This is the benefit. Um, And, like, it's, you know what, don't get me wrong. I I know it's really useful to some players that I know, but it's, it's not a thing that I personally care for a lot. Yeah, I feel much the same. Uh, so, are there any key rules that you think should never be ignored, uh, whether in Pathfinder or just kind of in general? I mean, like, 
in in theory, hypothetically, no, right? I mean, I the first thing I ever DM'd was uh, I had some friends who knew that I played a lot, and they were like, Ryan, you want to DM for us? And I was like, no. <laughs> and they're like, come on, just DM for us. And I'm like, we don't own anything. We don't have any systems. We don't have any, we don't have any books or whatever. And uh, we were all really into Game of Thrones. So they're like, just do a Game of Thrones thing. Just figure it out. Just do it. You have dice. And I'm like, <laughs> I went into the bathroom for an hour and uh, like wrote down shit on a notepad. And we called it Wester Bros, like Westeros. <laughs> uh, and it was literally just like, Everybody got basic ability scores, and uh, we just rolled d20s for everything. And there, there weren't any rules. There were, uh, hey, what do you, what do you, what do you guys want to do? And you know what, man, it's some of the most fun I've ever had DMing, and and uh, you know, some of the most, if if my players can believe, some of the most fun they had, which is like goofing around. Um, I mean, I think there always needs to be a skeleton of, uh, like ability scores or define definitions for what the characters are right you need to have some way of ascribing bonuses it should never all be random luck but i think beyond that because every system is so different there's so many unique ways of applying those i I think to to believe in absolutes for like the tabletop gaming experience uh is is uh dangerous i think kind of the core idea there is that no matter what role-playing game you're playing you all have to at least agree on what the dice do because like yeah. I, there's a, a one page RPG that I found it's called conspiracy and it's super simple. There's two cl- character classes. You can be a human or a reptilian and, but the only dice you roll is a D four and uh, like a, it's a crazy nutso game. I would highly recommend going and, and taking a look at it. I think it's on drive through RPG. It's pretty cheap. Oh yeah. But yeah, like, all you have to do is, you know, understand that, okay, we're rolling a D4 and that's how this game goes. And you can have a great fun engrossing game. Or if you're playing D and D, you all have to agree that yes, a D20 has to be rolled above a certain number and anything outside of that. I, I agree with you that like anything outside of what the dice means, you can do whatever you want with those rules. For sure. Yeah. Having that basic structure is, you know, generally necessary and, it, I think also having a structure to work around and deviate from like kind of breeds a bit more creativity other than kind of getting the, just sitting there going, Oh, everything's a possibility. Um, how, how do I even do anything? <laughs> how do exactly. I dice? So now that we've talked about everything from keeping all the rules to ignoring all of them, how do you remember which rules are still in play and which ones you've decided to be like, nope, that's not in play? Um, I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely gotten like really worked up and like, uh, like, so I play really extremely with ones and twenties. Um, so like a 20 is just like perfection. Everything goes crazy. And a one is like, everything is miserable. Uh, and so uh, sometimes when like ones or twenties happen, I get really excited and I'll be like, you can blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, you sunder his armor. And my players are like, sundering's not a thing we really play with. And I'm like, it's, de- it's destroyed. It's, the armor's destroyed. It's, it's no more. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I do, I, I definitely do forget. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's real easy, but you know, I, I think sort of the benefit of the whole notion of we're ignoring these rules is that uh, if I if I goof, I can be like, oh, it's just this one time thing for this one enemy. <laughs> this enemy is 
This Lich, this Demi Lich is so powerful that he actually plays with flanking. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you've been flanked by one Demi Lich. <laughs> that, that actually sounds like it'd be an act- like a really fun thing to play with where you have a really dumbed down version of D&D or Pathfinder, but mo- different monsters have different rules from the game attached to them. <laughs> so like certain th- rules around spellcasting only apply when you're fighting a lich. And I feel like it could be really fun as a DM and hell as a player. Yeah, that's actually kind of a cool idea. I, uh, I'm, I'm not not into that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so that reminds me a bit of old school hack, but not exactly. Anyway, what I this kind of reminds me, I think um, Matthew Colville did a video where he talked about how as a DM, sometimes the rules don't apply to monsters, the same rules that apply to players. And I, I think that's like a, a good thing to rem- remember. And I think it could be kind of related to what we're talking to or mm-hmm. about here, where it's like, yeah, you know what? We don't play with flanking, but, you know, this werewolf boss is able to flank with his minions. Yeah. That's like his ability, uh, not necessarily, oh, now all of a sudden flanking rolls. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, ultimately, you know, if, if what, what the players need to have fun in, in a game is, is different from what the DM needs to do to make sure the players are still having fun. And, and some, like you said, sometimes that means the, the different standard for NPCs than players, you know? And it kind of does make sense because like in D&D, there are monsters that have legendary resistance. They can just decide, you know what? I succeed on that saving throw, throw <laughs> roll. Or they have, you know, uh, layer actions where at the end of a player's turn, they can just do something. And there's, yeah, lots of room to play with. I think the whole idea of choosing and or ignoring rules as you see fit, we've kind of gone over ad nauseum at this point. (laughs) Do your players, uh, like, I think you've gone over this a little bit, but like, do your players often suggest rules that, you know, in the middle of a game or before a game starts, like you talked about voting on whether or not you're going to keep the grid. Are there, is that something that comes up often where players are like, Hey, can we not use this rule or can we use this rule? And how do you, how do you deal with those situations? Yeah. I mean a little bit. So, um, I have I have one player. Uh, it's the guy who came up with the Final Fantasy analogy, and and he's he's honestly he's great. He's he's like my favorite player to DM for roleplay wise. Um, but he does get a little persnickety when it feels like rules are limiting him. And so the first, you know, when when we first came to Pathfinder, uh, I think it was like maybe our third game. I wasn't DMing, and he had previously never played with concentration checks, and this other guy was DMing and was asking concentration checks of him, and he was like, this is fucking unacceptable. It's ruined. He's like, I'm not powerful anymore. I'm useless. This is so dumb. And he was just like really mad and not into it at all. And then I DM'd the next game, and he was like, I really want to play a Magus, but if you give me concentration checks, I will, I will not play a spell, spellcaster. He was like, he was adamant. He's like, please don't play with concentration checks, please. And uh, I was like, well, I mean, like, I don't... On the one hand, I think they're that like sometimes concentration checks are necessary, but I prefer I prefer to use them as like a, a situational penalty. Like it makes sense that you'd need to concentrate here, uh, but like the Magus as a class uh, in Pathfinder is is limited by concentration checks because you're basically a spell sword, and concentration checks are how you 
<laughs> how you determine that the character is not too powerful, able to like slash and spell, slash and spell. And so I was like, yeah, I don't really like them. It's fine. We'll, we'll figure it out, man. I, I accept your request. And then like halfway through the game, all the other players are like, listen, man, this is, this is fucking absurd. He's like cutting people up, shooting a lightning bolt, doing a spell recall and shooting another lightning bolt. It's just, you gotta, you gotta put some checks down there, man. <laughs> Are, are there any players that come at, come at it from the other side who come to a game and are like, we really, like, I really need you to include this rule because it's required or like, it's part of my, how my character works. And, and if you don't enforce this rule, even though you, they know that it's a rule that you tend to leave out and they really want it in the game. Um, yeah. There have been a couple of specific instances of that, like um, with some of my players, but again, I, I, I think I, kind of mentioned this, the way, the way I resolved it was just like, well, let's talk about how we would would incorporate that into a theater of the mind game. Like, if someone was like, I get tons of benefits from charging, but, you know, how do I, you know, I, there's no grid, so technically I'm not ever charging. And I'm like, well, it's fine. We'll just figure out how you can do charge actions um, and stuff like that. Um, there was one instance of a player who, so in a previous game, he had played, he had had a build that was like 100% re- it revolves around um, flanking and um, attacks of opportunities, the two rules I didn't really play with uh, without a grid. And uh, he was like, listen, I love doing all those things, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I just really feel like I want the rules in there so I can do those cool things I do. And uh, we talked about it a little bit and what games to throw in. And then he built his new character and his new character didn't use any of those rules anyway. <laughs> so it just petered out. Um, but, you know, ultimately for me, I, I'm, I'm not an anti-rules lawyer. Uh, weird phrase. Uh, I, so, you know, if, if, if my players are like, look, I really want to play with X rule. Well, I, I want to find a way to incorporate it and make it make sense for the game. I mean, really, the grid is the only thing I'm, I'm not... I don't really bend on for games I DM because it's just, it's not, it's not conducive to, to, to what the experience I'm trying to bring for my players. Yeah. I was just, I was curious because you brought up the term rules lawyer and that's kind of exactly what I was thinking about because there are players out there and they tend to be the bane of, of any, not just DM, but (laughs) role-playing group because they will grind. It doesn't matter if it's combat or a social situation or whatever. They'll grind it to a halt so that they can look up a rule and prove that, no, my character would be awesome right here because of this rule that I specifically, you know, stickied in my rule book. Mm-hmm. And it just, it sounds like, A, you don't run into players like that very often. And B, I think it's the kind of thing that, and it's good advice for, I think, any DM who runs into those kind of people is just, those are conversations you have out of the game. You resolve them before you start playing, whether it's, in your session zero or before you start playing for the night, just make sure everybody is clear on how rules work in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I've been very blessed, you know, most of my players is the same group I've been with forever or people that we've brought in who have like never played before. So they've sort of adapted to our game culture. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, ultimately, especially since it's a game that is, collaborative conversational role-playing i mean ultimately as a game the whole point is conversation and collaboration so if you can't work that out on your zero session uh then you know you should find a way to work it out as you play you know yeah uh, yeah so yeah uh, Ryan, <laughs> yes if uh if you could go back in time oh no grab yourself kind of by the by the scruff of your neck right before you're about to dm your first game and give yourself <laughs> one piece of advice 
specifically revolving around ignoring rules or maybe even separate if you want, what, what advice would you give yourself? You know, I think the advice would be, hey, man, grab some fucking NPCs from the reference document. Because <laughs> uh, I've gotten, you know, now I'm, I'm better about it. I've done it. But my first, my first, you know, few months or year of DMing, I was just so into the idea of winging it and making it happen as I went that I was just kind of like, uh, uh, I guess it's armor class is 19. Uh, I'll figure out what spells and abilities it has as I go later. And uh, just like the road to mix my like loosey goosey DM style with a fully fleshed understanding of like all the things that NPCs can do has been a, an unnecessary like the the amount of work it's taken has been unnecessary if I just like invested a little more book learning earlier on. That's that's something I've run into. I tend to be pretty improvisational as well, and there have been so many times where I've just had to take a moment and be like, if I had prepared even just like five minutes more, this would have been so much easier. (laughs) Uh, I've totally done the same thing uh, where I'll I'll like, I'll have a stat block ready, but I won't have read it. And then I'll be like, yeah, I I cast this spell. Oh, look, I just accidentally killed two of my players. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what? My bed. How much? Yeah. My players (laughs) still tell the tale of when they ran into a roper that I discovered all of its abilities as we were playing and nearly killed the entire party. <laughs> oh, no. I think, actually, to an addendum, if I had to give myself one very specific bit of advice back in time, I would say, don't try and do murder mysteries. You're not good at it. They're only going to stress you out. Nobody's going to have fun. I've tried to do, like, three of them, and they never work out. I just, I'm not good at writing murder mysteries. It's, uh, it's just not a strong suit for me. I need to stop trying. Nobody cares who killed the Archwizard. Nobody's going to figure it out. The mystery is not going to be good. Mysteries are hard. They have a really specific structure. And if your brain just doesn't work that way to put them together, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's we I, real challenge. <laughs> I, I uh, DM'd one for my players and it was like clearly going weird and slow. And then because of real life shit, we had to take like a, a week or, or uh, not a week, uh, like a month between play and longer than we would have. And when we got back together, I said, listen, guys, this mystery wasn't really going anywhere. I wasn't really 100% sure how I was going to clean it up. Uh, do you guys just want to say that you solved the mystery and we can move on? <laughs> we all agreed. Everybody agreed. Nice. That's actually a really useful skill to have as a DM, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Look, I, I goofed. It's fine. We can move on. Thank you so much for, for talking to us. Um, this has been great. <laughs> and oh no, thanks guys. I, I had a blast. I love, I love talking shop. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an important thing. I think for a lot of newer DMS is they need to hear that it's okay to, if a game isn't working well, that if there's a specific rule that's bugging them, that they can ignore it. It is fine. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like we, like we kind of said, like ultimately the experience is the people and to a, a slightly lesser extent, their characters, but, but ultimately, that's that's a, a group of folks in a room getting together and collaborating on a, on a story or an experience. So ultimately, you, you have to be able to be like able to just be like, "Look, I'm taking off my DM hat. Uh, this isn't working." Or, "How do you feel about this?" Or, "You know, what's going on uh, with with how you guys feel about this rule?" Or me doing this or me doing that or just admitting like, "Hey, I'm not really feeling what I was doing. Can we take a break and then and maybe reassess and?" you know don't make a habit out of stuff like that but but the idea of of being able to communicate everything that's going on to everybody at the table and and removing that real life 
GM screen, the barrier around your emotions and your heart. (laughs) (laughs) So is there anywhere people can find you online if they want to follow you on Twitter or whatever? Oh yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. I'm uh, I'm at R Y C A D Y at Rye Katie. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, it's like 40% me yammering about comics, 40% me yammering about stupid internet crap and maybe a solid 10% useful, helpful information. So well, you'll <laughs> probably get at least one or two people being like, you suck for ignoring rules and then you will school. Them. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. <laughs> I, uh, I love those cause you know, I just, I just go, Oh no, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't feel that way. Uh, no, speaking of comics, do you have any books coming out soon? Oh yeah, thank you. Um, I have, well, you know, um, I have right now, uh, I, I'm working on the, the Warframe video game adaptation, that comic, so that is uh, still coming out. Uh, it's going to be coming out for a little while. Uh, and then I have a couple things that I'm really excited about uh, launching in the fall, but they have not been announced yet, so I can't effectively promote them on this show. So... <laughs> That's fair. We'll keep an eye out for him. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's it's been a blast. I I could yammer uselessly about tabletop all day. So <laughs> same. Well, then we'll uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. I mean, yammering about tabletop stuff is why we started this ta- this podcast. So yeah, because me and Sean would still be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just be the same thing. Just you know, just in person, not recorded. Pretty much. Awesome. Our art is done by Haley Boros. Our uh, oh, she's great. Yay. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Uh, you can find us on both iTunes and Google Play. If you enjoy the show, please uh, rate, review, subscribe, all of those good things. And we've got a Patreon, DMs of Vancouver, uh, same as our Twitter and Facebook. All the money goes to making this podcast as awesome as possible. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.